Turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel according to Matthew. Our text today is Matthew 6, verses 5 to 15. But before we hear the reading and preaching of God's Word, let's pray and ask God for His blessing on our study this morning. Let's pray. Lord, you taught us to pray, your kingdom come. Come now and speak to us through your word. Grant unity to those who seek it and tend your lambs in this community. So that the lost may enter into this house of worship and experience the presence of Christ through us. We ask this for his sake and in his name. Amen. Matthew Chapter 6, verses 5 to 15. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to you, O Christ. Kids, uh, fifth grade and below, come on up. Join me. Welcome, everybody. Good to see you. Oh, hello, Kitty. How about that? Yeah, come on up. There's room, uh, front row, right here. Yeah. Squeeze in. All right, guys, when, y- when y'all get home from church, you know, like you're here, you probably go to Sunday school, then you go home. You're probably going to be kind of hungry by then, right? Yeah. Uh, what are you going to ask your parents for for lunch? What are you going to ask for? Sandwiches. Sandwiches. Easy. Very nice. Pizza? Mexican food? Macaroni. Very nice. Okay. So, so you ask your dad for macaroni. Do you think your dad is going to say, well, you forgot to say please, and you didn't really give me those big puppy dog eyes when you asked, and so this is what you're going to get instead. Would your dad do that to you? Like, pretend this was a real snake. Would your dad do that to you? Just because you forgot to say please? I don't know. Well, you're... (laughs) Robert is a question mark, yes. (laughs) No, your your parents know 
that you're hungry. They know that you need lunch, and they love you enough to give you what you need. And so you don't have to beg them or give those puppy dog eyes or stick out your bottom lip <laughs> for them to feed you. you. You might have to wait. You might have to wait patiently for a bit, but they are going to take care of you. And in the same way, in the passage that we just read, Jesus is telling us that our Heavenly Father knows what we need before we even ask Him. And so when we talk to Him in prayer, when we tell Him about the things that we think that we need, we don't have to try to convince Him to give us anything good. We don't have to use certain words or, uh, or look a certain way or feel a certain way when we talk to Him. But since we are God's children, by faith in Jesus, our, uh, Jesus who is our older brother, who gave his life for you and me, who died to bring us to God, we, we can trust our Father, our Heavenly Father, to bless us. He, he never gives us snakes. He loves you and he plans to do good to you. Yeah, you, know, you know that he might not give you what you want. The, the things that we sometimes pray for, he, he doesn't always give. I mean, my mom gave me way too much broccoli when I was a kid. And I hated it. But I hear it's good for you, so I guess she was doing her best to take care of me. But, but our Heavenly Father, do you think He always knows what's best, even if it's not what we ask for? Yeah. So when you ask Him for something and He doesn't give it to you, what must that mean? Or at least not right now. Yeah. It means the thing that we're asking for, even good things, might not be what's best for us right now. Is it hard when your parents tell you no when you ask for something? Yeah. Uh, and that is hard. But that doesn't mean that they don't love you. They do love you. And we know for sure that our Heavenly Father loves us. He already proved it by sending Jesus to rescue us from sin and from death. And so because we can talk to him about anything, but trust him to do what is best for us, that's another reason why we call this good news. Do you believe it? All right. Thanks, guys. You can go back. If you've not already done so, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. As you may already know, for the past several weeks, we have been considering uh, what our catechism refers to as the means of grace, those means that God has given to his people to uh, sustain and strengthen their faith, namely uh, his word, his sacraments, and prayer. And to this point, we have looked at the word and the sacraments as means of grace. And this morning, we will begin looking at prayer. Now, in one sense, it is easy to understand how prayer is a means of grace. Uh, as our catechism says, in prayer, we make known our desires to God. We offer them up to God. That is, in prayer, we give voice to our needs and to our wants. We give voice to our fears and to our anxieties, to our hopes and to our, our, our dreams. We are bringing our cares and our concerns before the Lord, and we do so with the expectation that He will hear us. And not only that He will hear us, but that He will 
respond, that he will be concerned about our good and he will act to bring it about. And so in that sense, it is, it is not hard to see prayer uh, as an instrument or a means by which God pours grace into our lives. Nevertheless, I suspect that many of us, if not most of us, have at least at times experienced prayer as something other than a means of grace. I suspect that many of us have have experienced prayer not as a means of grace, but as a means of shame. The renowned pastor Robert Murray McShane once said, if you wish to humble a man, ask him about his prayer life. He understood that, that most Christians feel some measure of shame about their prayer lives. Few of us, if any of us, pray as we feel we ought. We've, we've heard the stories. We've, we, I remember hearing the story of Martin Luther and how he prayed for three hours every morning, except when he was really busy. On those mornings, when he was really busy, he would pray for four hours before he would get to work. You ever heard that story? I don't know what it does to you, but it doesn't encourage me all that much. It makes me feel ashamed. We, we struggle to pray for even a few minutes. And even when we do discipline ourselves to pray for a few minutes, then we struggle to pray well, whatever that might mean. And so, so for so many of us, prayer has been a means of shame rather than a means of grace. It's not always and only a means of shame. Sometimes it's a means of frustration. We get frustrated because God seems far off when we pray. We we hide in our closet the way Jesus says. We're we're in our our private place. We're, We're somewhere alone praying to God and it feels like our words can't get out of the room. There's no connection. There's there's no felt intimacy. It's it's more like we are talking to ourselves and it's frustrating. But not only are we frustrated that, that we don't have that connection that our hearts long for, we, we get frustrated because our prayers seem of little effect. God seems disinterested. If he's, if he's listening, he doesn't seem to be doing anything. We pray for sick, love, sick loved ones. We, we pray for difficult situations. We, we pray against indwelling sin, both in ourselves and in others. But nothing seems to change. And so prayer becomes a source of frustration. Well, if that's been your experience, if you have experienced prayer as a means of shame or as a, as a means of frustration, rather than a means of grace, then I want you to know you're not alone. I want you to know that many others have had similar experiences. I have had similar experiences. I have struggled with prayer. But I don't simply want to commiserate with you. I want to hopefully offer you hope. I want to help you to begin to experience prayer as the means of grace it is intended to be. The means of grace that that God intends it to be. And to do that, to, to really begin to learn to pray and to experience prayer as a means of grace, I want us to spend the next several Sundays focusing here on Jesus' teaching on prayer in the Sermon 
on the mount. And the first thing we have to notice as we come to this text is that it actually begins with a warning. It begins with two warnings against the wrong ways to pray. Notice, he he warns his disciples first against praying like hypocrites, and then against praying like Gentiles. And I believe this gets to the heart of why we do not always experience prayer as the means of grace it is intended to be. So, So let's think about what Jesus is doing. What is a hypocrite? Well, a hypocrite, as you know, is, is someone who plays a part. It's, it's someone who, who projects an identity that is other than their true self. They, they, they display a life to the world that's not true to the inner life of their heart. That's what a hypocrite is, someone who, who plays a part, someone who wears a mask. And so how do hypocrites pray? Well, essentially, hypocrites pray to be seen. They pray to be seen by others. They they pray as a performance, as part of the part that they are playing. Prayer for them is a means of self-righteousness. It's a way of establishing their own righteousness, both in their own eyes and in the eyes of others. They want to see themselves as righteous, and they want to be seen as righteous by others, and they pray to that end. It's why Jesus says they love to to stand and to pray in the synagogues and at the the street corners. We we may have a hard time imagining someone praying on on the street corners, but that would have been common in Jesus' day. That would have been uh, something that they would have done. They would have stopped at the right hour of prayer, and they would have made a big show of the fact that they were saying their prayers. And they did it all to be seen by others. That's the heart of prayer for a hypocrite. The heart of prayer for a hypocrite is to be seen and praised by others. For the Gentiles, prayer is a bit different. A Gentile, as you know, is is simply a non-Jew. The the Jews divided the world into two classes of people. There was them and there was everybody else. And so the Gentiles were the nations. The Gentiles were, were all those who were not Jews. In our day, we might think of them as someone who is outside the church, outside of the, the covenant community of God. But don't misunderstand what that means. A Gentile was not a non-religious person. Almost no one in Jesus' day was a non-religious person. Being a nun, as the phrase goes today, is a very modern phenomenon. It's it's a very modern idea that you would be not associated with with any religious identity. There, There were no such people, or very few, in Jesus' day. And so the Gentiles, while they were not part of the covenant community of God, they were not nuns. They were not non religious people. In fact, they were very religious people. And prayer was a a common part of their life. They were religious and they prayed. But how did they pray? How did the Gentiles pray? Well, again, similar to the hypocrites, prayer for them was a performance. But it wasn't a performance to be seen by others. They weren't necessarily concerned with being seen by others as religious. But rather, their performance was for God. For their God or their their gods, whoever they happened to be, they were praying in order to get God's attention. They were praying in order to show themselves devout. They were praying in order to compel or, or motivate God to act on their behalf. 
That is why, uh, Jesus says, they use many words. They, they pile up phrases. They, they go through the, the right uh, incantations. They, they say the right things over and over and over again in order to impress or even possibly coerce their God to bend to their will, to do what they want Him to do. For the Gentile, prayer is a way to manipulate or compel God to act in your interests. And so what you see is that that while these groups are very different, they have this fundamental similarity. They are both using prayer as a means to get what they want. They are both using prayer as a means to advance their own interests and their own will. The hypocrite is trying to get a reputation. The Gentile is trying to get some sort of divine blessing. But they are both using prayer to advance their own self-interests. And Jesus is warning his disciples against praying in these ways. He is warning his disciples against trying to use prayer to to secure a blessing or to, to secure a reputation, to secure the thing that we think will secure for us the good life. Because when we pray in these ways, when we pray like the hypocrites, or when we pray like the Gentiles, it is true that God will seem absent. It is true that he will seem inactive. He will not meet us when we are praying to be seen by others. And he will not work for us when we are trying to control him. That is not who God is. It is not how God works. And so Jesus warns us against praying in these ways. But I want you to notice, I want you to notice the reason that Jesus gives for not praying like the hypocrites or for not praying like the Gentiles. Notice what he says there. He says, do not be like them. Why? For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Now be honest. Does that strike you as a reason to pray or as a reason not to pray? Jesus is here warning them to not pray like the Gentiles or the hypocrites, but it it seems almost as if his reason could be a reason not to pray at all. (laughs) I mean, if God already knows everything you need, why pray? Why, Why pray at all? We, we, we can think that way, can we not? Our, our brains can, can, can follow that train of, of logic. Well, what's the point if God already knows? If God's already sovereign, if God's in, in control, if he knows everything, if he's working all things according to his, his will, what's the point of prayer? But that's not the way that Jesus sees it. Jesus does not see this as a reason not to pray at all, but simply as a reason not to pray like them. And so how does that Work. What's going on here? How does, how does Jesus' logic work? Well, I want to suggest to you that, that Jesus sees this as a reason not to pray like the Gentiles, but rather to pray differently because he understands the purpose or the function of prayer differently than the hypocrites or the pagans. As we said, the, the, the hypocrites and the pagans, they are, they are praying uh, in, in a very utilitarian way. They are using prayer as a mechanism to get what they want. 
But Jesus is saying that we don't need to pray that way because our Father already knows what we need. Now again, think about the significance of that statement. God already knows what we need. He he knows us better than we know ourselves. And this does not mean uh, merely that He knows what we're going to ask for. Yes, that's, that's true. He knows our requests even before we we voice them. But Jesus is not simply saying that he already knows what we're going to ask for. He knows what we need. He knows what we actually need. How often do your children ask you for something that would not be in their best interest? How often do they, they ask you not only for something that they don't need, but something that would be to their detriment? As parents, we, we know that experience. Jesus knows not only what we are going to ask for, he knows what we actually need, whether it's what we think we need or not. So we are serving a God who who is able to act in our interest. But notice, Jesus doesn't say, God already knows what you need. What does he say? He says, your Father already knows. And that is, is hugely significant. God is God. God is the Almighty. He is the maker of heaven and earth, as we we say every Sunday as we we come into his presence for worship. He is the Lord of lords. He is the King of kings. He is the the sovereign of of the cosmos. He works all things according to the counsel of his will. He does whatever he pleases. Nothing is too hard for him. This is who God is. All of that is is gloriously true. But what you need to understand as you pray is that this almighty God, this Lord of hosts, who who controls and commands the cosmos, he is your father. That's what Christ has done. Christ gave us the right to be called the children of God. All those who have received and and rested upon him, all those who know that, that they are reconciled to God only through his blood, all of those who have entrusted themselves to Jesus Christ, are now rightfully called the children of God. We we come before the maker of heaven and earth as beloved children. He is our heavenly Father. I know that there are many who who struggle with this idea. They they struggle with the image of of a father because they themselves had terrible earthly Fathers. And if that's your experience, I, I weep with you and I understand the, the, the difficulty, but I want you to recognize that your recognition of your father's failures, your recognition of your, uh, that your father was, was not what he should be, that itself presupposes the idea of what a father ought to be. And Jesus is not here saying that that our Father in heaven is like our earthly fathers. Even our best earthly fathers fall short. What God is, is what a father ought to be. He is the fulfillment of of what a father is. He is the, the, the father. The father according to whom all other fathers are named. All other fathers are so called only because they are reflections of his fatherly care. And so Jesus is saying that God is our Father in the the fullest sense of everything that a father ought to be for his children. And he is saying that your heavenly Father, in all of that goodness, knows what you need. And not only does he know, but because he is your Father, 
he is inclined to act. He is inclined to give. In fact, Jesus himself tells us it is his delight to give. It is his delight to give good gifts to his children. And so as we begin this study in prayer, we need to begin here. We we need to hear this before anything else. We need to understand that God's determination to work for your good, to work for the good of his children, is not contingent upon the quality of your prayer life. Your prayer life is not what it ought to be, even if you're Martin Luther praying three hours in the morning. Your prayer life is not what it ought to be. That is true. I say that not because I know all of your personal habits, but because I know you're all human beings, fallen short of the glory of God. Your prayer life is not what it ought to be. But hear this. God's determination to work for your good is not contingent upon the quality of your prayer life. Nor is it contingent upon your performance in any other area of the Christian life. He is for you because you are in Christ. And he loves you even as, Jesus says, even as he loves his only begotten son. God is for you. Your heavenly father is for you in Christ, period. And he knows. He knows what you need. And he is working for your good in Christ. And therefore... We can say with absolute confidence that prayer is not and never need be a mechanism for getting God to do what we want him to do. Prayer is not a means of controlling God. It is not a means of securing God's blessing. That's where we have to begin. If we are going to understand prayer as a means of grace, we have to understand we have to understand this. We have to start with this idea that we are praying to our Father in heaven. Now again, hear what I'm saying and not what I'm not saying. I am not saying that your prayers aren't effective or that your your prayers uh, don't actually do anything. The scriptures clearly teach otherwise. The prayers of the righteous are powerful, we're told. God has ordained to use the prayers of his people to accomplish his purposes in the world. Our prayers matter. And in the mystery of God's sovereign providence, they make a difference. They are effectual. I can't tell you exactly how that works because I can't tell you exactly the relationship between our choices and and God's sovereignty. But I can tell you that the scriptures clearly teach that your prayers matter, that they work, that they are effectual, that they accomplish things. God works through the prayers of his people. But all that being said, understand that we do not pray in order to move or coerce God to act on our behalf or to to act for our blessing. We don't need to. Because in Christ, God is already fully and unalterably committed to working all things together for your good. And that's where we have to begin because this, this is how we begin to experience prayer as a means of grace. Think about what that phrase means. We've been saying that that God has given certain means of grace to his people. 
Those means are the Word, right? We talked about that. His, his sacraments, the Lord's Prayer and, and baptism. We, we talked about both of those. But what did it mean to, to refer to the Word and to the sacraments as means of grace? What does the means of grace do? A means of grace nourishes us to grow up in our salvation. A means of grace strengthens and sustains our faith. A a means of grace transforms us and and conforms us ever more to the image of the glory of our our Savior. This is what a means of grace does. It's what the Word does. It's it's what the sacraments do. They, They work on us. They are signs and seals of the gospel such that through them we are sanctified. Through them our, our minds are renewed and our lives are transformed. And what I want you to see is that when we speak of prayer as a means of grace, we mean exactly the same thing. Prayer works on us. It changes us. It renews and transforms us. Through prayer, we are progressively conformed to the image of Christ with ever-increasing glory. That's what prayer does. Prayer is a means of grace. It's a means of salvation. It's a means by which God works out the full benefits of everything that has been secured for us through his Son. So yes, prayer, knowing that our Father knows what we need, is a reason not to pray like the hypocrites and the pagans. It's rather a reason to pray like a child like a child of the living God. It's a way to pray even as Jesus taught us to pray. And that's where we are going to spend our our next several Sundays. For the next several Sundays, we're going to be looking at this prayer in great detail. We're going to be unpacking what it means for us to, to pray as children of God. And we're going to look at the the various petitions, the the petition that his name be hallowed, that his kingdom come, that his will be done. We're going to look at the the petitions that he give to us what we need to that end, that that he give us our daily bread, that that he give us the forgiveness of our sins, and that he give us the protection and deliverance from the evil one. But this morning, I I want us to simply camp on this idea, to camp on this question. Before we look at those specific petitions... I want us to to ask ourselves, do we pray as children? Do we pray to our Father in heaven? Do we pray to the one who already knows what we need and has said beyond doubt that he delights to give it, delights to give it without finding reproach? Because this is where we must begin. If we are going to experience prayer as a means of grace, we must learn to pray to our Father in heaven. And I'm not asking just simply about the words. I think you all use the words. We, we all use the words. It's what Jesus taught us to do. We are in the habit of, of praying this way. But is it, the, is it our mindset? Is it the, the, the posture of our heart towards him? Do we, do we come into God's presence as children, coming to our heavenly Father, who knows what we need and is able to give it, who is inclined to give it, who delights to give it? Is this the way we pray, or do we 
slide back into praying like the hypocrites. Because we need to think of ourselves as righteous. We, we need to think of ourselves as, as good. When I was a, a youth pastor in Asheville, North Carolina, I used to meet with the youth. I would meet them for breakfast before school. And inevitably, I would ask them how, how they were doing in their, their walk with the Lord. Thinking of that passage in, in Colossians where he says, you've received Jesus Christ the Lord, so now walk in him. I would, I would ask them how they were doing in that endeavor to, to walk in the Lord. And inevitably, almost every time, the answer that would come out of their mouth would have something to do with their quiet time. Well, I've been reading my Bible really well for the last few weeks. I'm praying every day before I go to bed. This was their measure. This is, this is how they thought of themselves as either righteous or unrighteous. And I'm not saying that, that devotions don't matter or that, that your prayer time doesn't matter. But this is not the sum and substance of the Christian life. This is, this is not how we measure uh, how we are walking in the Lord. These are the means of grace that God has given us by which we can be strengthened and sustained to walk in the Lord. But how do we think? Do we think of ourselves as righteous because we're praying regularly? Do we think that God owes us? Are we like the Gentiles? Do we think that God owes us because we are praying regularly? Or are we coming into the presence of the one whom we know delights in us? Whom we know loves us. Whom we know is for us. Whom we know knows us better than we know ourselves and is already working all things together for our eternal good. We learn in the the New Testament, that when we begin to pray this way, when we begin to pray to our Father in heaven, it will transform us. It will change us. Think of Philippians chapter 4. What does he say? God's peace will rule in our hearts when we bring our cares and our concerns before him with thanksgiving. For when we entrust ourselves to our heavenly Father, when we entrust every aspect of our lives to his care, we no longer have to worry or be anxious about these things. We no longer have to run after these things. We are set free to love Him and, in, and to love others in loving Him. We are, we are set free to give ourselves away in His service. This is what prayer does. It, it changes us. It, it sets us free. And more than this, not only does it, does it change how we pray, but it, it also begins to change what we will pray for this is what the Lord's Prayer teaches us, as we'll see in the weeks ahead. When we begin to come into the presence of our Heavenly Father, we are free to pray for the glory of His name rather than the glory of our own. When we come into the presence of our Heavenly Father, we are free to pray for His kingdom rather than our own interest. We are free to pray that His will be done rather than our own because we know Him to be our Heavenly Father. And we can ask for the bread we need to do His work rather than asking for, for all the things that our hearts desire to fill up the hole that never seems to be filled. So let me ask you again, as we begin this, this brief study on prayer, do you pray this way? Do you pray to your Father in heaven? If this is a struggle for you, as I suspect that it is, because I think it's a struggle for most of us, if you struggle, then the first step towards, towards learning to pray to our Father in heaven is to pray to our Father in heaven. 
and to ask him to open our eyes to see him. Now, I know that that sounds unhelpful, but it's like so much of life. If you want to learn to run, what do you have to do? You actually have to get outside and start moving. It's what happens. It's what you have to do. There's, there are no other shortcuts. And if you want to learn to pray to your Father in heaven, you actually begin by praying to your Father in heaven. You begin by confessing, Father, I, I struggle. I struggle to believe that you love me. I struggle to believe that you are for me. I struggle to believe that you are working for my good. Open the eyes of my heart that I might know you. Or camp out in Ephesians 3 for a while and, and just behold the wonder of what Paul prays there. Father, open their minds, strengthen them that Christ might dwell in them and that by Christ dwelling in them they might come to know the full height and depth and length and width of your love for them. That love that is beyond all measuring. This is where we begin. And so as we begin these next few weeks on prayer, this is my encouragement to you. Pray that God would teach you to pray. Pray that, that he would open your eyes to see him as your father who is already for you. Pray that, that he would begin to, to soften your heart towards him and, to, and to, to train you to rest in him as the one who is already working all things together for your good. Because it's only when we learn to pray to our Father in heaven that we will learn to experience prayer as a means of grace. But the beauty is that because he is our Father in heaven, he not only wants us to pray to him this way, but, but he will help us. <laughs> he will teach us. He will train us if we simply ask. James says, if you lack, ask, and God will give without finding reproach. So if you've struggled with prayer all your life, if prayer has been for you a means of shame or frustration rather than a means of grace, start here. As we prepare to spend the next several Sundays looking at this prayer, ask God to teach you to pray. Ask him to open your eyes to see him as your heavenly father. Ask him to do this work because he longs for you to know him as your heavenly father. And he longs for you to experience the gift of prayer as a means of grace. And because he has not only given us such a gift, but is willing to teach us to receive it. That is one reason we call this good news. Do you believe that? Amen. Let's believe it together. Father God, as we come before you this morning, we come admitting, Father, that for us, so often prayer has been a discouragement. Prayer has been a, a source of shame, a source of frustration. Father God, we pray even now that you would begin the good work of setting us free from that, Father. That, that you would set us free from the, from the bondage of praying like hypocrites or Gentiles. And that you would teach us to pray as your children. That you would teach us to pray even as Jesus taught his disciples, Father. Do that good work, we pray. And do it quickly. That we might know your grace through prayer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.